0: Back when I was first converted, the first church I was ever a member of, one of the pastors there was named Jerry. And anytime, time, you know, in the South, we'll, we'll, we'll go up to people and we'll say, how are you doing? Well, we don't want a full report when we say that. We want you to say, fine, how are you? Right? But every time you would ask Jerry, and, and again, I'm not communicating that we don't care. It's just a Southern thing, right? But every time you would ask Jerry, how you doing? He would always say, better than I deserve. And he meant it. He would say it with a smile and with humility. And in, you could, you know, love for you. But he would say, better than I deserve. And I never forgot that. And the longer I walk with Christ, the more I believe that His answer summarizes a true inla- a formula for a true and lasting gratitude that no matter where i am no matter what i'm going through i always can say better than i deserve he was always thankful at least to the extent that i could tell because he knew he was a recipient of god's grace and that was enough. And as you know, this Thursday is Thanksgiving Day. It's the only day of the year that we have to be thankful. <laughs> no. No. Just like Christmas is not the only time we celebrate the incarnation or Easter, the resurrection. But it is a secular holiday, it's not a holy day. We don't, aside from the Lord's Day, we don't have holy days. But like Christmas, We make use of the holiday to highlight an essential part of Christianity. And an essential part of Christianity is gratitude. Gratitude. Thankfulness. And so I wanted us to look. We're just going to look at the first three verses of Psalm 107. And I entitled it, The Thanksgiving of the Redeemed. Because the redeemed, no matter what their situation, the redeemed have ample Evidence, ample fruit, ample reason for thanksgiving. So the main point of this I want us to get from uh, this, I believe is what Scripture is teaching, is that we're to live a life of growing gratitude. Yeah, we're not glorified yet, we're not perfect, right? We live a life of growing gratitude that is rooted in the Lord's goodness and grace. I used all caps for Lord there on purpose. We'll talk about that in a minute. But we're to live in response to his grace and his goodness to us in Christ and in response to his word as we look at it in Psalm 107. We are to live a life of growing gratitude that is rooted in, rooted in the Lord's goodness and his grace. So point one from verse one. Be grateful in the Lord's goodness. Before I dig into the psalm, just a few things about this psalm. As you noticed, when I read the psalm, you saw, I stopped in verse 15. But what you have, this, this psalm is a bracket that begins and ends with the steadfast love of the Lord. And in the middle, it's a celebration of God's deliverance of His people from exile. And so you see people from different times and places highlighted in the, in the body of the psalm. You see four examples of God applying steadfast love to His people. And the ones we read in verse 4 were, Some wandered in desert waste, found no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted. And they cried out to the Lord, and He delivered them from their distress. And, and, and then you see that again in verse 10. See, notice it starts with some again. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners and and on down, but they cried out to the Lord and he delivered them. And then look in verse 17, some were fools through their sinful ways and their iniquities and they suffered affliction, but when they cried out to the Lord, he delivered them. And then again in verse 23, some went down to the sea in ships and... And that can be frightening. And they cried out to the Lord and He delivered them. So you see, in the midst of a call to celebrate God's steadfast love, the the psalm begins and ends with that. You see four sort of illustrations or examples of God applying His steadfast love and delivering His people from bondage, from the foe, from the enemy, from captivity in various forms and for various reasons. You have some principles on giving thanks for his steadfast love at the end. And then it ends again with whoever is wise. Let him attend these things. Verse 43. Let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So you have those four examples of God applying steadfast love to his people and delivering them from exile. And we know that every deliverance in the Old Testament from exile points to our deliverance in Christ and from exile in our sin. Um, And we'll talk about that a little bit. And then there's a chorus in here that repeats itself. In verse 8, let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love. Verse 15, let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love. Verse 21, let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love. Verse 20, uh, 20, 31, let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love. So you see steadfast love over and over. And our response to His steadfast love, It is enough. And our response to that love should be thanksgiving. So we come to this first verse, and sort of that's just a brief sort of summary. Go back and read the whole the whole uh, psalm. Look for words that repeat; that'll help you when you read scripture and you kind of see the structure of things. But in verse one, we're to be grateful in the Lord's goodness. Notice what it says. Oh, there's emphasis there. Oh, give thanks. To the Lord. That is a command. Do you know that? that and we're funny about stuff like that, right? We say, well, you can't command us to be thankful. You can't command us to love. It's got to just happen. No. God commands us for His glory, yes, but for our good and for our joy. But He commands us to be thankful. It's a characteristic of the ungodly to be not be thankful. Read Romans 1 and and other scriptures. And our proper response to our gracious and loving, awesome Lord is to be gratitude. But He does command us. It's a present command. So it's not just saying one day a year. Be thankful. It's every day. Be thankful, people. Be grateful, people. You have, every one of you has sufficient reason to be thankful. As well as me. Do I have everything I wish I had? No. Do I have some things I wish I didn't? Yeah. But it's all being used for good by the Lord. So he tells us to be continually giving thanks. To be grateful. To be a grateful person. The opposite of a grateful person is a grumbling person. And if you read the Old Testament, you don't see that recommended as a way of life. Because if you're grumbling, you're really ultimately dissatisfied with God. Are you a grateful person or a grumbling person? And you know, okay, let's be honest. Just say yes. Cuz none of us are glorified yet, right? We catch our you, I'm not the only one, right? It catches himself grumbling sometimes. And we don't always do it out loud, do we? We can smile and be nice to people and be thinking, "Yeah, I wish you'd go away." Uh, <laughs> it's just being real, right? I didn't think about it, about any of you this morning when I was smiling and talking to you. I heard it said from Steve Lawson and he heard it said from I don't know who, but he said this, you will be humbly grateful or you will be grumbly hateful. And you have a choice to make and God commands you to make the first choice. And He's given you everything necessary for you to make the first choice. And it has nothing to do with your circumstances. Now, certainly we're to be grateful for all things. But this is talking, this is rooting us deeper. This is rooting us on the rock. This is rooting us on ground that will never shift or, or change or, 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 or throw us for a loop. You will be humbly grateful or grumbly hateful. Gratitude. Think about it. We're to be grateful. So gratitude requires what? Humility. Without humility, we won't be grateful. And gratitude requires contentment. If we're discontent, we might vocally be grateful, but we're not. So, one of the questions we can ask ourselves as we go through this text and go away from this text is you know, you heard the old basketball saying, be like Mike, right? And there's this picture of Mike. Very few of us could be like Mike in that way. Certainly not me. I was grounded. But how much like Jerry are we really sincerely in that we think in our hearts and sometimes say it with our lips, how are better than I deserve? Better than I deserve. Or do you think, no, I deserve more. I deserve better. I deserve different. See, the opposite of humility and contentment is pride and discontentment. And that is not a path for for gratitude. So God commands us just right out of the box. He says, "Oh, give thanks to whoever the Lord." And a little hint: when you see, in, when you see in your English translation all caps, it's it's talking. It's using a particular name for God. That they're trying to highlight in the translation that this is God's personal name. Translated should be translated Yahweh. I've got a couple of slides on that if you want to pull those up. There. That, funny story. When I started seminary, my first class in Hebrew, we had to make a photocopy of Genesis 11. It was in Hebrew. And so I did. I went to the photocopier and made my copy. I was halfway through the class before I realized I had it upside down. And the only reason I knew that is English was on the bottom, Genesis 11, and it was backwards. But that is Hebrew. That is the divine name. That is how it would originally have been with no vowel points. And kids, you read it from right to left, not left to right. Yod, hey, vav, hey, Yah, or Yahweh. Flip the other one. Represented in English characters. Next slide, that. That's just trying to represent the divine name in English characters. But when you see all caps for Lord, it's that name, His personal name, His proper name. What's called the Tetragrammaton. Fancy word that just means four letters. (laughs) Did you know that? That's all that means is four letters. We get too fancy sometimes, don't we? but it's probably best pronounced yahweh not jehovah jehovah is a blending of two words and and it was not even un, it was unknown until the year 1520 anyway but nobody knows exactly why, how things were pronounced because they wouldn't even say god's name they would substitute another name the jews would when they read it or you might these days you'll hear hashem from a Jew who won't say God's name. He'll substitute Hashem. You know what that means? The name. That's that's what it means. But God's name was so reverenced that they wouldn't say it, but the one we're to give thanks to is this God. His name means the self-existing, ever-living, self-consistent, unchangeable God who keeps His promises and gives life to everything. This is the name that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. He is the covenant-keeping God. The one who keeps His promises. The one who keeps His promise of steadfast love. Just a short little note on that. But look what it says. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Now notice that little word for. We're going to see it twice. For He is good, and for His steadfast love endures forever. That little word for means for or because. It's giving us reasons for giving thanks to the Lord. Okay, I see that you're commanding me to give thanks to you. Why should I do it? The very first thing mentioned is His goodness. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Or because He is good. God is good. We we say sometimes, God is good all the time, right? That's true. But He is goodness. There's no standard of goodness above God that He has to live up to. He is the standard. He is the source. Goodness flows from Him. Everything He thinks, desires, says and does is good. All that God is, And all that He does is worthy of approval because He is good. God being all good. You may not have heard this one, omnibenevolence. Like omnipresence and omnipotent, He is omnibenevolent. He's good in His nature and He's good in His actions. He Himself is goodness. He is the standard of goodness. Everything that is good will line up with Him and His Word, His commands. And if it doesn't, it's not good no matter how it feels or tastes or smells or whatever. God is good in His nature. He's good in His actions. He's always, always good. Look at Psalm 25.8. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He instructs sinners in the way. He is good and we are not. And that's why we need Him and we need a Savior. We need hope and we can't find it in ourselves. Have you tried that? It doesn't last very long unless you really are sort of shading things. God is good and upright is the Lord. Now watch. All caps. Same name. For He instructs sinners in the way. Psalm, I mean Luke 18, 19. When Jesus was approached by the rich young ruler and He says, Good teacher, good master. What must I do? What must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus knows his heart and he points him to the commandments and he, he hasn't kept them and he, he hasn't even kept the first one. That's why he tells him to give everything away so hopefully he would see that. But Jesus says, why do you call me good? Do you understand what you're saying? Do you know who you're saying it to? Do you know, why are you calling me good? There is none good but God. Now, in a general way, we'll speak of one another being good or a good man or, you know, helpful, whatever. But as far as being worthy of acceptance and salvation from God, He is good and we are not. That's our problem. The problem that He meets for us and that's why we can be thankful. See, God is good. That means He has no evil in Him. It's not a dualism here. Right? He has no darkness His intentions, his motivations are always righteous. He always does what is right. And the outcome of his plan is always good. He is able to use evil to accomplish good purposes. There is nothing unpleasant, evil, or dark in him. He is holy and righteous and pure and altogether lovely if we are given the right eyes to see, heart to see and believe but see the problem is none of us are good (laughs) God is good and we are not see none of us are good none of us deserve good so our hope and gratitude our hope must come from outside ourselves because we are not good you cannot be good enough to to be saved You cannot earn your salvation. You cannot clean up your situation enough so that God will accept you. You must in in self-denial and in repentance, you must turn from hoping in everything else and turn to trusting in Jesus. Because He's God's Son who lived for us, died for us, paid the penalty for our sin, was raised from the grave. Our hope and gratitude must be grounded outside ourselves. If it's grounded in ourselves and our circumstances, you can relate to this. Your hope and gratitude goes like this, doesn't it? Because when things, when we're on a high, woo! Thank you, Lord. When we're in a low, why me? Come on now. It's not just me that does that, right? Look at Romans three twelve. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. This is Jew and Gentile. This is Paul's summary statement. is part of his summary statement where he establishes the sinfulness of both Jew and Gentile. The fact that none can save themselves by keeping the law. That all need a Savior. But one of the things he says is all have turned aside. Together they become worthless. Now watch this. No one does good. Not even one. Not even one that's bad news and if we were left there we wouldn't have much to be thankful for would we praise God he doesn't leave us there so back to our verse it says that oh give thanks to the Lord first reason because he is good now without the gospel that's not good news right second reason for his steadfast love endures forever. The second source of gratitude is knowing His steadfast love, which is throughout this psalm and throughout the Word, His covenant love, His never-ending love for His covenant people through His Son. You may have heard the Hebrew word hesed, and it was much more guttural than that. I don't have the Hebrew, you know hesed is used over 200 times in the old testament and half of those times is roughly half is in the psalms and it refers to his committed and determined love his loyal and royal love his faithful unfailing undeserved covenant love god is for his people and will never cease to be for them and his hesed his covenant love is incarnate in his son the lord jesus christ Whose very name is the Lord of salvation. Joshua in the Hebrew. He is our Redeemer. He is our access to God's steadfast love. So knowing God. Knowing His goodness. Knowing His love. Knowing His power. Knowing His sovereignty. We know we can't take any attribute and just isolate it. Knowing our God is the first element to enduring gratitude. Knowing Him humbles us. Shows us the answer is not in us. Causes us to rest in Him and His purposes. We can trust Him and thank Him in the midst of everything because of His never-ending, steadfast, covenant love for His people. That, that love is rooted in, in eternity past. Ephesians 1.4 He chose us before the foundation of the world. In Him, who Jesus, that in love. See, He set His love upon a people before the foundation of the world. And His Son, being the mediator of the covenant, was given a people that He came to save. And He accomplished our redemption in His life. And He was raised from the grave. And the Gospel is going forth and the Spirit applies that redemption to His people calling us to faith. In Him, See, we are saved because of Him. We owe gratitude to Him because He is our salvation. It wasn't my idea. I was running as fast as I could from God. And He did a work of grace. And the same thing is true of you. We run religiously. We run irreligiously. But we're born running. And He arrests us. Because He has set His love upon us. And it's a love that will never end. It is a steadfast covenant love. So He is not only Lord and He's not only good and He's not only in control, but He is love and has loved and does love in His, his people. And He does deliver His people from exile because of His steadfast love. And He causes all things to work together in the lives of those He calls. He Not all things are good, but He uses them and works them for good to make us like Jesus. Romans 8.28, you know this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. See, the unbeliever cannot say that all things are going to work together for good. Because this is the best it's going to get. It's downhill from here. Right? But the believer knows that this is as bad as it's going to get and that even the suffering I, we go through in this life, God uses productively to shape us and mold us into the image of Christ. And listen, being real, some of that suffering is really deep and hard. And Lord, without knowing our, our God and His covenant love and the truth and of His Word, we would not have hope in the midst of our deep, dark struggle. But knowing Him and knowing what He's up to and knowing how He delivers His people and what He has done for us in Christ. We have hope and we have ability to be grateful even in the midst of hard times. Because we know our God, we know He's good and we know His steadfast love for us in Christ that nothing will be able to deliver us from or shake us from. Therefore, we can be grateful. Ephesians 5.20 do you know that this is one of the fruits of being filled with the Spirit? He says, "Not don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, singing psalms and all of this. And then this is another one. Giving thanks always. Now watch this, because this is hard. We go through some difficult stuff, right? Giving thanks always and for everything. To God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the gospel is big enough to make us thankful for everything even that deep dark trial that we have gone through or are going through or will go through he says that the power of his spirit is enough and his grace is so rich and and who he is for us so that we are able to put this suffering in light of his grace and see what he's up to and give him thanks for everything thanks to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ We have the Spirit because we have been redeemed. And therefore we are able to do that. So second point. Be grateful in the Lord's grace. This is where he talks about redeeming. In verses 2 and verses 3. I won't spend as much time on these. But it says this in verse 2. This is be grateful in His grace. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say what? That the Lord is good and His steadfast love endures forever that Christ has come and has saved us from our sin is his salvation is available to all as a free gift let the redeemed of the lord talk of their redemption and talk of god their god in his grace his steadfast love let the redeemed of the lord say so whom he has redeemed from trouble or from the hand of the foe and gathered from the lands. and think about Israel's history, all of their oppressors and you know they, the northern kingdom into captivity in Assyria, then the southern kingdom into Babylon who had conquered Assyria, and they're just scattered, and God has brought them back into the land. And the psalmist is given thanks for the Lord delivering His people uh, from their captivity. And their being delivered from their captivity is a type or a picture of our being delivered from our captivity in sin. So we are to speak of His redemption. We are to speak of His grace. We are to brag on the fact of who He is and what He's done for us. Because He has redeemed His people. See, this psalm celebrates the Lord's faithfulness to His covenant in bringing the exiles back. Bringing His people back. And His people are not just made up of old covenant people. We are new covenant people. The true people, grafting in. In Christ. So God's faithfulness to His covenant and to His covenant people is highlighted here. And we are to speak of His faithfulness to His covenant and His covenant people. Of His goodness. Of His steadfast love. Of His grace. In redeeming us. Ultimately and fully, we are the redeemed, right? The the, the Christ has become the cornerstone. That's in the psalm. He is our salvation. It's marvelous in our eyes. We rejoice in it. We have been redeemed. And brought back from the hand of the foe. From the captivity. We've been gathered in Christ. See their redemption pictures our redemption. And we are the redeemed who can brag on their God. It's what Peter says and other scriptures said that it's our privilege to speak of his love and grace. Now listen, don't just hear that as speaking to people outside the church. We need to do that. and We need to share the gospel. and We need to say so. We need to speak that to one another. And encourage one another in our God and in His faithfulness and in His grace. Because individually we will lose hope. And we'll be in the midst of hardship and we need people to come alongside us and love us and help us remember that we are the redeemed. We have a God who is good and His steadfast love endures forever. And whatever trial we're in, He will see us through. Maybe into the next life or maybe in this life. But He'll use it all for good. Christ has saved and redeemed, has paid the price for His people, which includes you if you are trusting in Him. If you are trusting in Jesus, you know that God is good. You know that His steadfast love is real. You have been forgiven for all of your sins. You have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You are a child of God now, empowered by His Holy Spirit to live for Him. Because Christ died for our sins. According to the Scriptures, He was buried and He was raised the third day. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. See, God in His goodness set His covenant love upon us. And He gave us to His Son who came to save us. And the Spirit has applied that redemption to us so that we have turned and trusted in Jesus. And my question is. Maybe you've understood this. Maybe you haven't. Are you trusting in Jesus. And Jesus alone for your salvation this morning. I didn't ask you how strong your faith is. None of us have perfect faith. When we're glorified. Well. <laughs> it'll all. But we all struggle. But push to the wall. Are you trusting in Jesus. If you're trusting in Jesus. You are the redeemed. And you can brag on your God. But you can rest in him. And be grateful to him. See, Jesus came to save His enemies. He died for our sins. He was raised from the grave. And He has redeemed us and granted us life through Him and through the Gospel. And I hope that every one of you, it is your testimony this morning that you are trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. I mean, it's as simple. Think about the tax collector. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, save me. I trust in you. There's no real sinner's prayer in Scripture. It's a heart that turns in faith to Jesus and receives and rests in Him. Hmm. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things and let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. See, our biggest problem, we don't see it that way always, but our biggest problem has been solved. We have been reconciled to God. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. That is sufficient ground for gratitude, no matter what trial we're going through. But we have to remind ourselves of that. Being redeemed is a sufficient condition for a lifetime of thanksgiving. That's what he says in this psalm. Be continually grateful for, for I am good and my steadfast love has endured, will endure forever and I have redeemed you. That's, hear me, believe me, because we wrestle and we struggle with this. That's all you need to be thankful, biblically speaking, is to know Jesus and the salvation that is yours in Him. Circumstances will lie to you, your heart, everything, but the gospel is the ground. Grace is the ground. Christ is the ground that is sufficient for a life of thanksgiving. So just pulling away. Knowing the Lord and His love and resting in our hope in His grace is sufficient fuel for a life of gratitude. Knowing that God loves me and that He has sacrificed His Son to redeem me. How can I not be grateful? How can I look at him honestly and say, I need more than that? That's cool, but I need more than that to be thankful. On top of that, knowing that he's in control and promises to work out everything for my good helps me to be grateful in the midst of the trial. As hard as this is, and in a way I can't imagine because I don't see how this is anything good, I know you're going to work this for good. Help me to, I mean, read the Psalms. Watch the psalmist pray f- through that and grapple with that and, and struggle. And how long? And But come out on, I know that I will see the Lord in the land of living. I trust in my God, my Savior. He will answer me. He's in control. He is sovereign. He's promised to work out all things for my good. And if he wasn't sovereign, he couldn't promise that. There's not a maverick molecule in the universe, R.C. Sproul says. And it's true. And it helps us to be grateful. So I'll give you a warning. Pride never leads to gratitude. Ever, never, ever. Discontented hearts are never grateful hearts. Discontented hearts always think that they need more to be thankful. Pride leads to a self-centered life and a self-centered life is death. Pride needs a bridge out warning. It won't get you to the other side. It will never lead you to true fulfillment and gratitude. Just one verse. Quoting the Psalms, James says, this should be enough. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And one of the graces that He gives is the empowerment and the enablement to be thankful and to be satisfied in Him and His goodness and His grace. Encouragement. Biblical humility. knowing It comes from knowing what I deserve. I don't deserve grace but wrath. But I know His grace in Christ. And that helps me. To embrace the truth that no matter how bad things get, as I see them, I am much better off than I deserve. Al Martin visited Three Rivers Baptist Church one time and he prayed with the elders and they were all shaken by the first thing he said in his prayer. He said, Father, I thank you that I am not in hell right now. Man, that kind of puts it in perspective, right? I thank you that I have your grace. Gospel leads to humility and leads to a God-centered life of peace. The kind of humility and contentment, this kind, is a recipe for resting in His grace, the grace of His redemption in Christ, and living in an abiding sense of His love. How do I know God loves me? How do you know God loves you? It's not in you to know that, right? You don't feel it. The cross. The cross is how you know. The free offer of salvation is how you know. That He would reconcile you, totally apart from you, by sacrificing His Son and then give His Son to you as a free gift that you just received. Hallelujah. We know His love. Pride is a bridge out to gratitude. Circumstances are a bridge out to gratitude. But good theology, hear me, Good theology is a bridge to not just gratitude, but growth and grace in total, but to gratitude. Because that's what the psalm is telling us. Know your Lord. Know he's good. Know his steadfast love endures forever. If I know, see, theology is nothing more than getting to know God. It gets a bad tag, and we think, oh, that's for ivory tower people and preachers and theologians. No, you are a theologian. Right now, as you sit in these chairs, you are a theologian. The only question is, are you a good one or a bad one? Does your knowledge of God line up with his word or not? And we all are in both camps. Hopefully, we're growing more and more towards lining up with his word but knowing the Lord in His love resting in His grace our redemption in Christ leads us on a path of gratitude and usefulness in His kingdom because we know we have far better than we deserve and our hope is in His grace and having His grace that is enough to walk through even difficult trials and be grateful do, y'all know, do you know who Matthew Henry is? Most, a lot of you probably have Matthew Henry's commentary on your shelf it's a devotional commentary they wouldn't let us read it and, as we were in preaching class. Because it gives you the outline for the sermon. Anyway. <coughs> it's, it's really accessible. And, 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 and it's a good place to go. Matthew Henry was a brilliant man. Um said that he could read the Bible at three. Don't know that. But one day after being in church. I think preaching. I'm not sure about that part. But it, anyway. He was going home from church. He fell among robbers. And he was robbed. And beaten. And injured. And he was able able to get home. And when he got home, he thanked God that he had been robbed. He thanked God that he was not killed. He thanked God that he had money for them to steal. And that God had richly provided for him. He thanked God that they didn't get all his money. He thanked God that it didn't happen to someone else because it might have been a powerful discouragement to them. His being robbed resulted as much praise and thanksgiving to God. That doesn't boost him up. It's just he was rooted and grounded in God's grace. and he understands what I'm trying to preach to you this morning, and he actually applied it to life so that he could be grateful for being robbed. It's just an illustration of what I'm saying. His grace is enough. His strength, His grace is enough. His power is made perfect in weakness. Having Jesus, we have everything necessary for gratitude. See, we don't need all things to go well to be grateful. We don't need all things to go well to be grateful. If we do, we're focused in the wrong place. We need to know well to be grateful. And knowing well, rooted in God and His goodness and grace to us in Christ, rooted in His salvation and having that defined life to live as Christ, right? We need good theology. We need to know well. And if we know well, we'll be grateful. I mean, goodness gracious, without that, things can go perfectly and we still won't be grateful. we just be proud. Knowing our God and His grace and our redemption in Christ is sufficient ground for gratitude. Look to Christ. Rest in Christ. Marvel at your Lord's goodness and grace to sacrifice His Son for you. Live in the reality of being forgiven for all of your sins, being cleansed by His sacrifice, by His blood, being clothed in His righteousness, being made right with God, having a hope that is not just for this life, but for the life to come. Death has been defeated for you. It's merely a shuttle ride into His presence. And on from there into his return and new body and life in the new heavens and the new earth. Knowing God in his grace should produce in us an abiding gratitude that thanks our Lord for everything, because we know He is for us and with us and will never forsake us. So when you're asked this thanksgiving, what you're thankful for, the gun is loaded. You know, the old saying, don't talk about politics or religion at the table. Well, the gospel is neither and rightly understood. What are you thankful for? Well, let me tell you what. My God and His goodness and His steadfast love, His grace to me in sacrificing His Son. See, it opens the door for the gospel. Yahweh. The Lord is good. And He set His love upon us and He's delivered us from our sins and its consequences. So, if you want a formula, God plus grace plus faith equals thanksgiving. When asked how you're doing, try to always answer with sincerity like my brother and my elder at that time, Jerry. Far better than I deserve. To live as Christ. Let's pray. Lord, make us a humble, a faithful, and a grateful people. People who know they are redeemed and are willing graciously and lovingly to say so. That You are good. That You are kind. That You are gracious. You are merciful. Your steadfast love endures forever. You Have sacrificed your son for us that we might be reconciled, redeemed, brought back, delivered from our exile in fulfillment to all the shadows of all the Old Testament. Our savior is salvation. Help us to dwell there. And even through tears to be able to say, Lord, I thank you. I don't understand it all, but I thank you. And I know you're with me. I know you're for me. And I know somehow you're going to make this glorify you and make me more like Jesus. So help me to trust you. Help me to rest in you. Help me to revel in your grace to me in Christ. Lord, save those who don't know you. Grow those who do. Be at work in our hearts. And Lord, as we go with our families and celebrate a secular holiday of thanksgiving, may we be truly humble and loving and gracious and grateful people who bring glory and honor to your name. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.